Good morning, everyone. My name is Scott. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. It's great to be with you. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 today, one of the most uh, profound psalms in all the Psalter, 150 psalms in the Psalter. And this one is among my favorites because if you, if you read the psalms, what you find is there really is a psalm to match whatever mood you're in. Uh, earlier, we were quoting one uh, in our call to worship about just how great God is and the celebration of God and his goodness. And so there's many psalms like that. Psalm 100, praise, uplifting, and these very positives. But some of us don't come in here today um, with a happy heart, but with a troubled heart, a depressed heart, a sad heart. And if that's true of you this morning, then there's a psalm that matches that mood as well. And it's Psalm 42. Not without hope, but it meets you where you are. If you have a Bible, let's turn there to Psalm 42, um, and we're going to read it together. It's also found in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible. Let me read to us Psalm 42, though. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of joy and praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you so downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, and all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. There are some people who are just sort of eternally optimistic. There are, I mean, I know a few that just, it, they don't ever seem to get down. But most of us, if we're honest, have uh, dark nights of the souls. We have seasons uh, in our life where we become despondent, become sad, become blue, uh, or even depressed. Some people have melancholy personalities. Like you prefer Seattle over sunshine. I mean, you really do. You like uh, that mood. Like you don't really want to be happy. You like minor chords. You just live there, right? You listen to alternative sad, sad music, which I love personally. Others have bouts of deep sadness in light of difficult circumstances. Hard things have happened and it's made you sad. It's made you down, depressed. Others of us still have clinical depression that's ongoing. it, It doesn't release. You need medical attention. You need help from outside to overcome it. And if you're one of those people, then you know that medication doesn't relieve your depression or or cure your problems. It basically just puts you on a level playing ground to now fight against your problems and against depression. It kind of puts you at a level place, and now you can begin to work hard on getting healthy. 
And Psalm 42 is this enormous resource for you if you're in a state of depression or if you want to plan for a time of darkness or when the clouds roll in. And maybe you're young and you've never had that. Maybe you're just upbeat, but chances are good. In your life, you're going to have these times and you need to plan. You need to be ready and have a resource. And today we're going to be looking at this great psalm, which is this amazing, amazing resource. Now, Psalm 42 and 43 most likely go together as one. Uh, many Hebrew, Hebrew manuscripts have them as one. And you'll probably note that Psalm 43 has no heading of its own. And it concludes with the same refrain that we've been hearing in Psalm 42 in verse uh, 5 of Psalm 43. So in Psalm uh, 42 verse 5, 42 verse 11, and then in 43 verse 5, we have the same repeated phrase. And so when a psalmist is repeating something, what does that mean? They want us to remember this. They want us to pay attention to this. This is the heart of what we're talking about. And so this is what's repeated throughout these two psalms. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's the thing we are to take away from today. That's the thing that should stand out, should scream to us, like focus on this. Three times I'm repeating this. Please hear this, the psalmist is saying through the Holy Spirit. Now, the sons of Korah are listed as the authors of this psalm. There are 150 psalms. 11 psalms in the Psalter are credited to these sons of Korah. Now, they were the praise band of Israel in the Old Testament during this time period. They were the the choir or the praise band, and so they were responsible for singing before the people of God. Now, a lot of commentators, though, and scholars believe that maybe King David wrote this, even though it's attributed to the sons of Korah, because if, as you read it, it just seems like David so much. It seems like perhaps something he would have said and experienced in one of his times of exile, perhaps when his own son Absalom was trying to kill him and take over the kingdom. I mean, you think your family's dysfunctional? I mean, chances are good no one sought you and killed you and, and tried to put you in exile among your own family members. At least, maybe you have. And if you do, come forward for prayer afterwards, please. <laughs> so these sons of Korah, uh, perhaps though, these sons of Korah are writing this psalm, but from the perspective of David and kind of entering to what it was like when he was in exile and cast out from God's people as he was in that place. Today, though, we're going to see three things from the psalmist about depression And it's so applicable to our lives. And it's this. The psalmist deals with his depression through honesty first, through self-awareness second, and then thirdly through faith. He deals with it honestly. And that's a good word for us this morning. He deals with it with the sort of self-awareness and self-understanding, and thirdly, with a great faith. First, the psalmist deals with depression through honesty. If you're akin to to depression, you know that he has all the classic symptoms, whoever's writing this. Uh, He's not eating at all, except the tears that he cries. That's his food. Day and night, he's crying. And and if you've been in a place like this in depression, like uh, many times people will will be weeping when they wake up and weeping when they go to bed. They lose their appetite. They have no desire for food. They really have no desire for anything that would normally give them joy, the things that normally make them happy. They don't want to go to a movie. They don't want to be around friends. They don't want to go out to dinner. They just want to stay indoors. Psalm 42, verse 3 says this, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where's your God? When you're depressed, you often don't sleep well. Or, on the other hand, all you do is sleep. You don't want to get out of bed. 
often experience physical pain with no apparent explanation. And, and it says towards the end of the psalm how he has this deep affliction in his bones. He's, he is experiencing physical pain, emotional pain. He can't sleep. He, he's just eating his tears at night because that's, he just cannot stop weeping in his depression. You often get stuck in this cycle where you don't even want to get out. If you've been depressed, you'd like sometimes just console yourself with your own depression and you're not even sure you want to get out of it. People come and they say, what's wrong? And you say, I don't want to talk about it. Or they kind of push you and like, or, or you, you don't even want to see a happy movie or listen to a happy song. You, you literally want to wallow in the depths of depression. And I get the sense in a way that's where this man has been, but he's on the verge of breaking through. And we see it. He's been in that cycle. He's been in that loop. But now he's speaking to himself about hope and faith. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me. Here's what I love. He admits it. He admits, I am cast down. I am in turmoil. Chances are good as you walk through these doors today and somebody said to you, hey, good morning. How are you? No matter how you're actually doing, you said, great. How are you? Beautiful day outside, right? In actuality, I want to go listen to Radiohead and just be really angry and depressed all day. You know, you don't walk into a public setting, maybe where you don't know people, and say, I'm really depressed. I'm really sad. Everything's horrible. Good to see you. Go find a seat, right? I mean, like, no one does that. But the reality is what I love is his honesty. I am cast down. And we, that's a phrase I don't really use very often, but it's this idea of, like, being pushed down, pressed down. And, and your head is low. And your heart is low. You can't see up at all. You're, you're literally, you're pressed down. He's in turmoil, and he's in such turmoil that he admits in verse 9 of of Psalm 42, why have you forgotten me, O Lord? And there again is where I love his honesty so much. Why have you forgotten me, O Lord? In the midst of a a, a psalm where he's like, he's talking about the Lord and his goodness and kindness, and, and, and I will yet praise him. He says, why have you forgotten me? And can you see that right next to each other can be a rich, deep, biblical faith, but with a severe doubt at times and a severe test of your faith where you say, it feels as if you've forgotten me and I'm left all alone. Our cultural faith in America doesn't have much room for that. We're positive and encouraging, but the Bible is honest and real and authentic in saying, look, there is a place for deep and profound sadness and faith to live side by side in the same place. Our songs don't reflect it on the radio in particular or in current worship music. It's very hard to find a minor chord in praise music today because there's no space for faith and depression to live next door to each other. But in reality, in the Bible, they do all the time throughout the Psalms. What is the cause of his depression? Well, while he hasn't lost his faith, he hasn't. He has lost the sense of the presence of God in his life. He doesn't feel God anymore. And he once did. And maybe if you've had an experience where you've really had an empowering of the Holy Spirit or you have felt God's closeness and the sweetness of fellowship at one time, when that's removed from you at another time, it can be very, very difficult and sad. Maybe you go on a retreat and have this great experience where you're spiritually high, but you go home that week and then you feel utterly spiritually low, almost in the opposite direction. Why? Because like David, he he has these emotional highs and emotional lows. And he now feels cast out from the very, very presence of God, and it's literally eating away at his soul. He doesn't 
lack faith in God, but he's starting to doubt whether God is with him, whether God loves him, whether God is on his side and cares for him. He feels forgotten by God. I'm sure that you can relate to that. Now, most likely, David or the sons of Korah have been cut off physically from the people of God. I mean, he's, he says, I remember when I was able to go into the house of the Lord and be with the people of God and lead them in great procession with shouts of joy and triumph and so forth. So whatever is going on in his life, he's no longer physically there. He's in some sort of exile, it would seem. And he's lonely, he's sad, he's depressed, and he has these deep longings for God. Oh, that I would in my depression. Look where he goes in this dark place. What is he longing for the most? And the prince of preachers, the most amazing preacher perhaps in the history of preachers is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he has this beautiful quote about this passage. He says, debarred from public worship in exile, David, he also thinks this was David, is heartsick. Ease he did not seek, honor he did not covet, but the enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. He viewed it not merely as the sweetest of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity. The presence of God for him was an absolute necessity. He longed for that, like water to a stag, like the parched traveler in the wilderness whose skin bottle is empty and who finds the wells dry. He must drink or die. He must have God or he will faint. His soul, his very self, his deepest life was insatiable for a sense of the divine presence. And this is a challenge, is it not? As you read the psalmist in the midst of his depression, like, his longing, his deepest longing, and this is often where our depression lies, you guys, is whatever we long for the most is being blocked off. We can't get to it. Whatever you want the most, whatever you long for the most in life, whatever you need the most in life, and you can't get it. Somebody is barricading it, blocking it off. You're not able to get it. You get sad and depressed. I'm, I'm a little uh, challenged this morning to see that the psalmist, his greatest desire in life is the presence of God, and that's why he's sad. I'm not sure that's the funk I've gotten in before. You know what I mean? My health is blocked, so I get depressed, or some pleasure I want is blocked, and I get depressed, or some goal or desire or whatever, but his longing is for God himself, which is a beautiful thing. When we moved to Phoenix to plant New Valley in uh, 2003, uh, we'd had this kind of incredible experience where, uh, out of the blue, we felt called to do this, okay? We lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and me and my wife had been praying about it, talking about it, thinking about it, and people were encouraging us to do this. Uh, money was raised for us to do this. People stepped forward and said they would go with us uh, from the Midwest if we would do this. And so there were all these doors opening. Our faith was being built. It was sort of this incredible time. Meanwhile, God was giving us a gift of faith. There is such a thing where for a moment, in a particular task, God will give you a gift of faith for a moment. And so we stepped out in faith, having been given this gift of faith, and, and we moved here and loaded up the van and, and, the, and the dog, and I, Becky flew out later, but I drove cross country with a friend and came out and, and was good and fine. And then, but here's what happened. After all the boxes were unpacked, and after all the friends and family that had come out to encourage us as we kind of landed here and help us get involved and get committed, you know, kind of uh, unpacked and stuff with our little kids, when all that was done and everyone had left, I fell in this horrible depression, very similar to what the psalmist is saying, because I was cut off from God's people. And in a moment where I had experienced God's presence in a very powerful way over several months of him leading us to move here, now that we were here, 
And I'm looking around going, oh my gosh, how are we going to start a church? We don't know anybody. People would ask me, what is your, oh, you're a pastor. Where's your church? Well, uh, it isn't anywhere. What do you mean? Uh, well, we're starting a new church. Well, how do you do that? I don't really know. Like, so, uh, well, who goes to this church? No one except me and my kids and my wife. Like, well, what, what's its name? Nope, no name for this church. Like, it's crazy. What we're doing is crazy. And meanwhile, our five-year-old son was crying himself to sleep every night going, please, daddy, let's go home. Please, why did you sell our house? Will you tell the people that bought our house? We want it back. Let's go back to Ohio. What have we done? My wife was fine. But I was in this horrible spiritual dark place where I felt like by my hubris and pride or whatever, this, you know, desire to do something great for God had gotten us in this horrible place and I had cut myself off from all that was good in the world for me. No family, no friends, nobody who knew us. We were just here alone. And you know what? I really believe that was God's plan. He says, the psalmist says, your breakers and your waves crash over me. And that God, when he loves us, will discipline us and he knows what we need to be challenged. James 1 said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. This was a trial. This was a testing of our faith. Oh, you're filled with faith when all the doors are opening, but now are you going to be filled with faith when it looks like this is impossible? I fell into a deep and dark sadness. It was very, very hard. But God showed himself to be incredibly, incredibly faithful. In addition to this disconnection between his feelings with God, he once felt close to God. Now he has literal enemies coming up to him saying, where is your God? You're so sad. You're so depressed and, and whatever. Like you, you call yourself a Christian. Like where's your God in the midst of your suffering? They keep taunting him and picking at him. I don't know about you, but I've never had that kind of physical torment from another human being. I've never had like that kind of persecution. I've had persecution in a very minimalistic way, but never someone just keep taunting, like, where's your God? Where's your God? But he does. But every one of us in this room, if you're a Christian, has an enemy, and it may not be a physical human being, but you have an inner enemy. One is your own self-doubt, but two is the enemy, the author of lies who comes along in your depression, in your sadness, in your despondency, and says, where is your God? God doesn't love you. You've gone too far this time. This sin you keep repeating, this thing you keep going back, whatever, you know, this is too much. You, you can't be God's child. You can't be forgiven. Where is your God? If you're God's child, why are you so sad? Why are you so down and downcast? You can't possibly love God and feel the way that you feel. Right? We have this inner enemy that keeps attacking us. And what's sad is, is this. If the enemy can't get you to deny your faith in God, he will attempt to get you to deny that God loves you and is with you. Maybe I can't get you to doubt that God exists, but then I can get you to doubt that God cares for you, is with you, and loves you. The psalmist deals with depression through honesty, and he also deals with it through self-awareness. And this is what we need desperately. Three times the psalmist asked himself, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. When we are stressed out, when we're anxious, when we're depressed, there is a voice going on in our head that's loud. The volume of this voice is way up. It's like having headphones on cranked really high, noise cancellation headphones. And that voice is, is 
throwing all kinds of fear and accusation and doubt into your brain and it's saying things like, well, what if this happens? And if this happens, then this might happen and all these different contingencies. And if this happens, then this could happen and the start market goes down. You know, what am I going to do? I'll never be able to retire. And, and if I don't get this GPA, then I'm not going to get into this school. And if I don't get into this school, I'm going to be a failure. And if I don't get this scholarship, etc. And, and what if, what if, what if, what if? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? What if my wife doesn't love me anymore? All these things, and we go to all these different contingencies, and we play them out over and over and over, feeding our fear. And what I love about this psalmist, because he's been doing this, I have a feeling. Why do you think he's been eating his tears all night and all day? Finally, though, he stops listening to himself only, right? And he begins talking to himself. He quits just simply listening to his fear and he starts talking to himself about his faith. He starts fighting his fear with what he knows to be true, even if he doesn't feel it. And this is critical, you guys, on an average day, let alone a day when you're in dark times. To fight your fear, to fight your doubt with what you know to be true. Emotions are fine, they're a gift from God. Thank goodness we're an emotional people. I mean, some of you are like Spock and you don't have many, but like, you know, (laughs) God's given us emotions. But you can't be ruled by them, man. We have to fight our emotions that take hold sometimes with the fight of faith. He says to himself, I am downcast. I am in turmoil, but why? Put your hope in God. Quit all this self-talk. Quit getting stuck in this loop of negativity and, and all this worry and all this fear. You serve the living God who made heaven and earth. He begins to talk to himself three times, repeating, repeating, and repeating. And here's the thing. If you think you're going to fight fear and anxiety and depression uh, by just a, a small way, no, you have to repeat it because your fears are on loop and recycling over and over and over. I take a walk almost every morning. It's just me and my dog, cup of coffee, and we're walking. It's about a 20 to 25 minute walk. And on that walk, the state of my heart always comes out very clearly. No one to interrupt, no phone calls, nothing. I'm not talking to anyone, it's just me and the dog. And in that moment, because she doesn't say much, it's just me and my voice. What is going on in my head? And oftentimes, I catch myself three quarters of the way through the walk going, wait a minute. <laughs> All I'm talking about is fear, anxiety. Loops of depression, loops of doubt, loops of worry. And I'll have to say, no, wait a minute. Why? I literally will repeat this verse. Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. And then for the last part of the walk, I'll say, remind myself of who God is, what he's done. You have to fight. The psalmist deals with his depression through honesty, through self-awareness, and then faith. And they're all tied together, right? But like faith. He begins to speak to his fear with his faith and fight for it. The first thing he does is have a backward faith. He recounts all that God has done for him in the past and all that God will be for him in the future. But first he looks backward. Verse four, he says this, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers better days, right? When God was with him, when he led the people in worship, when he had this experience of closeness and presence. Then in verse six, he says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. 
I remember you. And that doesn't really go together causally. Like, uh, my soul is cast down within me, therefore, it's like I'm fear, fearful, angry, depressed. But for him, he says, my soul is cast down, therefore, the balm, the, the medication is that I remember who you are. I can't go back to my fear. Psalm 9.1, I read this last week in my devotions, and it says this, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will remember, I will recount. I will give thanks with my whole heart. And I found it's very difficult to remain in a depressive state if I'm recounting all the things I'm thankful for. It's hard for me to stay anxious if I'm recounting all that God has done for me in the past and then believing all that God can and will do for me in the future. I've been committing to you a good book called, uh, by Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, called The Songs of Jesus. And in that book, it's a day, every day, they take a section of a psalm and then there's a devotional to it and a prayer. It's a great way to start your day. And on Psalm 9, in Songs of Jesus, it says this, Recognize and tell of God's daily wonderful deeds, and you'll have a note of grateful joy as the background music of your life. So when I'm on that walk every day for that 20 minutes or so, whatever is in the background music of my life in that moment, that's what's going to come out. If it's one of praise, uh, it's there. It's evident. The walk, during the walk, I'm, 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 think, I'm mindful of what's around me. I'm seeing birds fly and thankful, and I'm, I'm seeing God's good creation. I'm, I'm not yelling at the dog as much. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, there's a thankfulness and a joy, and my, my focus is on God. But if the opposite is also true, right? There's a song of discontent. There's a song of, of depression. There's a song of anger and anxiety being played in my heart. And he says this, look to the subtle ways that God has provided for you. Recount the subtle ways. We always want to see the, the enormity of something, but what about the friend who called you right at the moment that you needed that conversation? The loved one that brought over a meal or took you out for coffee or the email that you needed right in that moment or the text or the verse that really hit you that day or a song on the radio or on church that just spoke God's goodness and kindness to you in that moment. Recount. Recount even the most subtle, small ways that God has provided for you. And then look forward. He says this, Hope in God, for I shall again praise you. Basically what he's saying is this, This isn't going to last. I'm cast down, I'm in turmoil, but this is not going to last. I will return to better days. God is with me. I must return to better days. My God is faithful. I remember a time... A few years ago, I, I had this illness. It wasn't a big deal, but it, it felt big to me. And, and if you've had something that was chronic, and this had happened for like a couple of months. It was an infection of some sort. <laughs> I won't get into the details. But anyway, well, okay. No, anyway, I'm not. But I, this infection, and like, you know what you do when you are a hypochondriac and kind of type A like myself? You get on WebMD and all these Mayo site, and you start typing. And all these people are going like, this is never going to leave you. Like, if you have this, this particular infection and, and illness, like, it will never leave. It's persistent. It's never going away. And then I fell into this horrible depression, right? Well, I'm going to live with this. This will never, ever, ever leave me until Jesus comes and returns and restores my body. And frankly, that is true for many people, right? But I'm living in this dark place. And finally, this doctor that I finally saw looked me in the eyes and goes, this is not going to last. You know that, right? 
I go, yeah, but WebMD. He goes, get off that stupid site and listen to me. He goes, you're a pastor. He's a Jewish doctor. It was great. He goes, looked at me. He goes, you're a pastor, right? And I go, yes. And he goes, this won't last. Put your hope in the great physician, not Jesus, but him. Like, this is not going to last. And literally, within days, my symptoms began to go away. So maybe it was all psychological. I don't know. But the point is this. Hope is such an important thing. You have to look forward to the future and believing God will be good to you in Jesus Christ. Amen? You can't overcome your sadness and depression without a glimmer of hope, even if it's the tiniest bit of faith. And this is the beautiful thing, just a mustard seed of faith. Jesus promises that. The amazing things we can do with just the tiniest, a mustard seed is the smallest of seeds back in the Middle East. It's the smallest of smallest faith. Jesus, what good news is that? You don't need, uh, you know, St. Ignatius faith. You don't have to have, like, early church father faith. Just a grain of faith, the mustard seed of faith, can begin to break open the clouds and give you light. That God is good. Hope in Him. Psalm 42, 11, I'll say it again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And what I love about him, and I mentioned it earlier, is he knows where to go. He knows where to find rest. He knows where to be satisfied. It's not in money. Are you depressed about the stock market? There's no rest there. I know China's crazy and oil prices are low. Gas prices are fantastic. Let's celebrate that. I mean, maybe you're depressed about the election. I'm very tempted to be depressed about this election. Maybe you're depressed. I don't know what you're into, but like whatever's blocked, something is being blocked and maybe that makes you sad. What I love about him is he knows where to find his rest. He's cut off from this sense of God and he knows that is where ultimate rest, peace, and goodness is. It's in God. Put your hope in God. As we prepare for communion in just a minute, we're going to sing, sing Psalm 42. It's a song called Satisfied in You. And it's one of the most beautiful renditions I've seen of taking a, an ancient psalm and turning it into a, a modern uh, tune. Listen to the words if you don't know it. And if you do know it, join us in singing in a few minutes. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that there is hope in the midst of our depression, our sadness. And I pray for our friends that are cast down, are in turmoil, and we pray we pray, God, for a, a sliver of sunshine for them today. That you would break through the thick clouds and show them some light of your kindness and your love. And I pray for all of us, knowing that there are dark days that will roll in for each one of us. And may we have a rootedness like the psalmist, so that when they come, we'll be able to fight the good fight, to not just listen to our fear, but fight with faith. We thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen.